Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? Well, we've got a listener's choice episode. Bobby, one of the things that we've talked about over the past uh, months and really over the past year now, it's been over a year now, um, we've mentioned is is not watering dead plants. And one of our listeners um, said, hey, go a little bit deeper there. Explain what a dead plant is. Um, and it's a metaphor that uh, I learned early on in my sales career at a company I worked with called Soft Choice through their sales program. And it's something that really stuck with me. So today we're going to talk about it from a few different angles. We're going to talk about it um, kind of personally and I guess it kind of intercepts professionally as well. We'll talk about it with just people in our lives. We'll talk about it professionally as it relates to our job. And then third, and really the core of the conversation, Bobby's going to be around as it relates to deals and customers. Fantastic. Well, I mean, the, the metaphor is pretty clear. Like if you water a dead plant, it's not going to grow, right? That's right. Yeah, so the concept really is we have a finite uh, amount of time uh, available on this earth. Um, where we spend it, uh, impacts many, many things. And, um, what is, uh, you know, Bobby, we've made it very clear that we listen to the Adam Carolla, a lot of his work and one of his famous savings sayings is, uh, if it doesn't make me money or make me happy, then why am I doing it? Exactly. So, I mean, this somewhat lines up to that, right? Uh, this is being judicious with our time. Where are we investing our time? And when I think about it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the the fact that you you being the author of this outline and you talk about personal, we've all got a personal story, whether it was high school, college, a first person we were dating that just took us way out of line of what we wanted for our life. We, we've all got a personal story. I don't think people see it as much in their professional life. It's almost like as salespeople, we're used to being told no and we're used to being beat down so much that maybe sometimes in our professional life, these things get missed, but it's very similar. It really is. And it's probably the good first place to start. And I think we, if, if, if so, if anyone's familiar with like a codependent relationship, I think this is maybe the biggest offender um, of second time from us, you know, in it, in, in sucking the ability for us to be uh, successful in whatever endeavor that we're after. And I think the, one of the telltale signs for that, and I'm sure we've got some psychologists or folks that went to college to study this that will be either uh, pounding their podcast or or nodding their head that, yes, we're right here. But the codependent people in your life will tend to be people that will ask, um, will be seeking you to ask more questions about their life than they'll be asking you about your own life, um, which not only sucks time it sucks energy it's usually uh you know brought with lots of challenges and issues and, and not, not at all suggesting that that there's not time and energy to spend with people that need help in their lives but it's when it's a constant need and it's a constant pull uh that is physically and mentally draining and i i think that's that was a big oh, it, it wasn't probably until my 30s that i realized that this was happening and i had to kind of reevaluate friendships and reevaluates um, where I was spending my time because, again, we only have a certain amount of time. We've got kiddos. You and I both have kiddos hitting critical ages. We're at kind of a critical time in our in our work career, too. And and we just it uh, got to be careful about where we're investing that time. 
And it's funny because I was all I was thinking about was my son as you were speaking then, and I know Jackson's at the same age. And man, just the things I hear my son talk about now today, social media—it's the drag of the social media and what those Snapchat snaps mean, and and how they change their mind and make them feel worse about themselves or whatever else. Um, it's like just break up with that relationship with that social media app as well. But it's true. It's it's exasperated, I think, for a 14-year-old boy who is in high school, but it, it does happen to all of us throughout our lives. And uh, I don't know when it was for me either, but I probably reevaluated a lot of those relationships as well and just decided I'm going to do what's best for me. And uh, it wasn't easy, but it, it is best for you, and that's what you should do. Not at all. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not easy. Certainly not easy. But it, uh, if if done in the right way, it can certainly be a, um, it can make a major impact on your time and availability. Uh, and if you know if you, you know if 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 this is something that you think you may suffer from, because I I re- also it also creates some awareness on me, and I realized that I was not investing the right amount of time asking the right questions to my friends and people that I cared deeply for. Not because I didn't care; it's because I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize the blind spots. Well, by definition, right? It was a blind spot in myself that I didn't recognize. Um, there's a great book uh, we've talked about over the year, the Dale Carnegie How to Win Friends and Influence People, poorly titled, um, but a book that's what coming up on 80 years old. Yep. Somewhere around about that way, that it does a great job of expressing what some of these characteristics are. So um, anyhow, it's it's worth investigating and worth. Uh, some introspection and some uh, outward looking as well. You know, I close that personal piece up with that all of our personal lives impact our professional lives greatly. So if you have one or three or 10 of those relationships in your personal life, I can assure you that it's impacting your professional life. Take a deep look. Um, you might not have a single one of these relationships in your professional life, but if you have that much going on in your personal life, it is going to change the way you interact at work. 100%. All right, so the second one, uh, so we, we're going to talk about three today. The first one is more personal as it relates to people in our lives. The second one is professionally. So again, we invest a lot of time in our career, the company we work for, um, and we don't want that abusive relationship for the company we work for either, right? So um, in the third one we'll talk about is professionally, right? This is kind of the core of the message. Deals and customers. Are, are you watering dead plants as it relates to deals and customers? So Second, Bob, going the second one, Bobby, going back to professional in the job, is we we talked about this mostly when we were talking through the challenger cell and coming up with value stories, and we all work so hard to getting into new perspective, new prospective customers, upselling existing customers. Um, I mean, it's what easily forty percent plus of everyone's job. Sure. Uh, yeah, and then if you're not prospecting into new customers, then you're working deals. And ultimately, what you've got to decide is is the value message, is what your company brings uh, to bear. And we'll talk about this a little bit in, in an upcoming listener's choice, actually. Is the value message that your company uh, provides or the outcomes that your company provides their customers, is it is it really doing something? Are you really making a mark? Are you really producing good outcomes that you can be proud about and deploying live successful customers that you can be proud about? If you are, then you're probably going to be pretty good about it. We talked actually recently when we had Phil Wilhelm on, and we talked about uh, really believing in kind of the company culture. If you're going to be that first-line manager, you've got to really believe in what your company is offering because you're going to be the guy that's kind of pushing that message down. 
And if you're a professional salesperson, do you believe the value message that your company your your company is expressing? And if not, you've got to ask yourself, am I watering a dead plant professionally here? Completely agree. And not only that, but if, if there's a relationship in that company, you might need to be on a different team. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could spin this or skin this gap, but you know, maybe you're working for a boss who's just completely demoralizing and won't stop, but you maybe work for that right company, but you need to be spending a lot of time and effort to get away from that person. I thought Phil did some really good analogies as it relates to believing in that person and believing in those people, but maybe it's the, the, the upside of that too. Like the people above you, do you believe in them? And there's probably a bunch of good opportunities inside of that company. Maybe just get away from that person. Um, there's more ways to spin it. And then not every job's great. I, we've seen people probably hit their glass ceilings. Um, I think there's an analogy or a, a true story that we all get to that point and we can't get past it. But maybe you try to be a business manager and you're not good at the books and the math and the numbers and you just took the wrong job. Maybe it is manager for the first time and, and you don't like to deal with people's problems. That's going to be a hard one to overcome. So there's a lot of ways that you might feel like you're stuck in a rut, but there's something out there that you can break away from the one thing that's bringing you down that dead plant to move away from it and, and get to the right spot so that you can flourish in your own job uh, professionally. That's a great point. The, I, this, um, when we, when you kind of interviewed me, when we talked about the expat assignment wrapping up at the end of December, um, you were asking me kind of some of the biggest learnings and what I didn't probably realize that I'm now starting to realize is that the market is so big and there are so many different types of jobs in this, in this economy, in this tech sales profession. And when I talk to some of my, uh, peers or folks here in the, in the States, um, I think the path seems very linear and it's just not that way at all. And I think um, if I if I learned anything at all, it's that uh, I, I'm not a great networker. We've talked about that over the over the past year, I, and it's not natural for me to reach out to people. So I find like a small group of people that I really trust, and then I ask for their advice, and I try to add value to them and and and, and make it worth uh, reciprocating that relationship, basically. And what I've what I've learned is that. The, the world is big, and that doesn't mean you have to take an expat assignment by any stretch of the imagination. But Bobby, to your point, if you're on a bad team or work for a bad manager, it doesn't mean that the company's bad. So maybe take a deep breath, take a week off, um, and, and just really think about, am I, am I investing in the right path, career path? It doesn't have to be necessarily on the product side. Maybe is it on the services side of the same company? Is it on the customer success side? Is it the customer base side or the net new logo side? There are so many different paths to look at and uh, to think that taking two years to reassess things and to try something different kills any sort of upward trajectory that you have is just wrong. It's the wrong way to look at it. Well, I've struggled with this myself for years thinking that the window of time was so, so short, right? And as many of you have heard, my wife was sick, had breast cancer. She's much better. But the every little thing we've gone through has gone by so fast in a blink of an eye. Um, I know it doesn't, but it does to me seem like you were just in Pantigo a, a few months ago, right? Yeah, but to yeah. you, you have this massive two-year journey, but it has happened in a blink of an eye. We just 
feels like we were just owning a small consulting firm in, in Houston and Dallas together. We Those journeys were just here. Um, I think people that are at, at this change in their career, maybe it's the promotion or whatever else, they just can't see to let go and move on. But I would, I think every change I've made, I've, I've, I've either been better for that change or made more money for that change. Something good has come from it. So all I can say is don't stay in a rut. Don't water that dead plant as it relates to a job for your profession. Um, you can, you can get out of it. Yeah. I, I like to, I like to liken the tech sales industry as the kind of a mini version of the gold rush back in the, uh, back in the old West days. And, and thinking about, are, are you stuck in? Are you stuck mining an area in California that just is not producing any gold? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like take take come up, take a deep breath, and recognize that California is a big state. <laughs> you know, yes. Let's go uh, find another place to mine. Maybe it's even in the same city or county, but go find another place to mine. Maybe on the same creek. Maybe on the same creek. That's right. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, the third one. So to, to recap, the first part we talked about is just people where we invest in, in people relationships in our lives professionally. Is this a right job or right career for us? Um, and then third, and this is really what we, we, we drew the most parallels to, were deals in our customers that we're working with. And I don't know about you, Bobby, but when I get a customer, when I get a call from a customer or an email from a customer that says, man, we're ready to go, there is very little... Other than getting that deal signed, there is very little that's more exciting than that to me. So the hope and the promise of a deal to me is like candy. It's like uh, my, it was my birthday uh, coming up here and my daughter made me a uh, vanilla and banana pie uh, uh, cake. And man, it's top stuff. And that, that is like a new deal coming into me is that uh, the hope of a new deal. Well, I think it for every rep it is and it's the... It's almost filled with false promises. Uh, if you've been in sales long enough, you know those false promises. But uh, it's rare that a customer reaches out to you for a deal. We, we, we've t- beat it to a dead horse on this podcast. But when they call and they ask you or say they're ready to buy, it's probably not as good as it sounds on the phone. And that's the backbone of all we're talking about today, about dead plants, right? How do you recognize whether it's worth investing your team's time, your time, your effort to go get that deal closed. Um, not all deals are equal. Not all customers are equal. And so we talked about it from eval plans and sales process and all those things to weed out, no, no pun intended, these dead plants. But what, what do you think the number one thing is, Brian, that you've lost in your life, work, career, whatever, because you were focused on a dead plant? Well, I think the number one thing was productivity. I, I think the hopes of, uh, let's say that your quota is a million dollars a year, let's say, and um, this deal comes in and it's worth 300000 or 400000 um, And man, you want so bad to, to, believe, to believe this is very real and it's going to happen this year and I'm going to get it done. Um, but then it's then we start to miss some dates. We get some empty promises from a sponsor but the number one thing, Bobby, to answer your question is the productivity that it kills for me whenever I invest time and energy and am crossing my fingers for a deal that has little to no momentum. And you still go to that weekly meeting to talk to the customer and sponsors about it. They keep asking for the free lunch, maybe a baseball game. It's hours and hours and hours for you and your team. 
And the customer's pretty much status quo. They might know the decision's not going to happen, or maybe it's going to happen a year later. They're, they don't have near the, the, the loss that we have spending that time and effort on these dead plants. Um, I guess what would be a clue that the plant is dying or going to be dead? I, I think there's three things that you need to be thinking about. If you're an account exec that that maybe thinks that you've got one of these um, that are happening, or if you're inside sales and you're trying to qualify a deal for an outbound rep, um, or if you're a senior rep that has you know a bunch of customer base accounts, it's really asking yourself, does my sponsor have the right power? Bobby, something you said about you know that that customer doesn't care nearly as much as you do about where you invest your time, and they don't understand the implications probably. They don't also, in some cases, understand whether or not they have the power or not to make the right decision or to make a decision on this sure. new purchase. So it, you have to really make an honest assessment to understand, does my sponsor have the power to get a deal like this done? Has she or he or she done a similar project like this before? Have they talked about, you know, in some cases it doesn't require a business case. Sometimes they're just swapping parts. In other cases, it's going to be a purchase that they've never made before. So have, have they done anything similar like this before? And do they know who's got the signing authority for it? It's just, it's kind of chasing down what is, is this person realistically looking at this deal in the same lens that I need to represent this deal, both internally and to myself so that I'm not inflating my own pipeline and then come up with a miss at the end of the year. I love those questions. And, and the reality is, is most people... There's a few, but most people aren't going to lie to you. So if you ask these questions, they're going to answer the questions. It's, are you, are you ready to hear the answers? Are you ready to realize what you've invested and hoped for so much could be a dead plant? I, I do two things similar to that at, at the stage where I'm really starting to question the deal, whether I'm a manager or a rep. And I really just try and throw out the biggest number that we could be possibly talking about. Like, yeah. are you sure you can spend $2 million in the next six months with me and my company? Well, no, I only have like a $1.5 million budget. Well, okay. We're talking about a $2 million purchase. Well, how do we, how are we so far off in our size and scale of this deal? That's the, that's a, an easy first one. And I, I will say it might hurt your feelings to hear no, but that's going to be a, a, a time saver like you wouldn't believe. The next thing is I, I love to challenge a team or a person that says we're going to get this done with explain every step, every step that has to happen between today and you celebrating with the customer that the deal has been done. What all has to happen. Yeah. And it normally falls apart real quick after their sponsor commits to the deal. Okay. If your sponsor commits to the deal... Then what happens is the customer, the sponsor described that to you. Well, no, he just says they're going to get done. Okay. There's a board involved. There's a team, a steering committee, three signatures that have to happen. You know, a lot can go wrong from that. Even if they are the person that can make the decision, um, as a married man, I can assure you that I thought I made some decisions that got vetoed (laughs) along the way. So, even if the sponsor thinks he can do it or she can do it, there's too many things that can break. If you have that conversation with your customer, you get to highlight some of those key areas that, that the breakdown could happen. And it's both going to help them and enlighten you on just how much risk there could be in your deal. And Bobby, one of the ways that you can test this too, because sometimes it could be it can be weird or awkward to 
of like how do you get this out of your prospect? Because sometimes you don't you want them to come across like you're drilling them, right? So one of the ways I've heard uh, one of the AEs do this, and then I I've since been doing it too, is they'll ask the customer. They'll say, "Hey, um, I've got a few questions for you. Um, whenever we are, get involved in these pursuits, we we're all in on our side. So we're gonna I'm gonna involve my solution consultant in this role and that role." And then we're going to be asking for quotes internally. That's a different team that does quotes. So we're going to make a big investment on our side because we're, we're ready to do this. We're excited to do this. But the business asks me when I, when I uh, commit these kind of resources, they ask me these questions. And then you can get into it. And you're not passing the buck to the company by, by doing that. But you are letting them know, I am in on this. I'm making an investment but I am making an investment, so I need to understand the answer to some of these questions. And it's an easier way to break the ice, I think. Yeah, and the simple way of saying that is my manager is going to challenge me with these three yeah. things. I yes. just need to make sure we're on the same page. Do these three things really exist in our future, right? There's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're not throwing your manager under the bus. You just it, it's, it's the same thing for them. They have a boss, too. They know how that's going to happen. Um, it's Agreed. just validating some of the basics on both sides of the fence. Yeah, agreed. And another way, uh, we, we talked about three questions. So the first one was, does your sponsor have the right power? And there's a lot of subthreads we just talked about there. The second one, though, is is the pain felt throughout the organization. So let's say they do have the right power. When they take it to the board, does the board have constituents that also are chirping about the same pain that's in the company, right? Because you know, there are very few cases to where just one role or one part of the organization is going to be able to affect change for a big project. In some cases, it doesn't matter. But you do want to understand and get perspective on is the pain felt throughout the organization and what's the interest or capacity or effort to address this sort of change, to, to fix this pain? Well, you said capacity. I know it was in a different state, but I... At my old job, uh, Dell EMC, selling storage and, and other big hardware, I had a customer. We will keep their name a secret, but actually the CIO was the most challenging person. I think he had a reputation of never presenting something to the board that was going to get turned down. And so, you know, three years go by and we're refreshing this big storage array and they need new storage. You know, time's changed so much. And we are done. I think we're done. I, I'm pretty good at my job. I think we're done. He's like, well, what if we just delete half of what we got today? Like, do we really need to keep it? And I mean, that's that spent the, that sent the team into this total spiral of internally at that company of like, well, could we delete? That would do so much. We would save millions of dollars to just delete some stuff. And you're like, golly, we thought we were close, but you know, that that is a great example of the pain being felt by the whole organization because. In that world, you can just delete stuff and retain a lot of storage. Similarly with applications, do do others in the organization feel about it the same way that IT does? And this is a little bit off topic, but this is so in line with what you're talking about. What the fact that they could delete half of it and be in a and be in a good spot for another X number of months or years or whatever that timeline is. Why not represent it that way internally? If you if you Again, if you're working at the right place and you enjoy what you do, why not? I, what I what I think drives me crazy when working with people is that it's it's misrepresented, or if it's there's there's fear to talk about this very real outcome. The outcome is the outcome, Bobby. You couldn't control that customer saying that at that point. 
doesn't matter. No. It's real. It doesn't matter. Well, in that same light, I had a lot of people who would say, you, you have this multi-million dollar renewal coming up, and I'm going to sell you a new array that's cheaper than that big renewal. Come on. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not the only two options they have is my renewal or my new my new array. They've got competition. they got everything else out there. But I always felt like we were fibbing when we would show these these hockey stick renewals, right? And it's exactly what you're talking about, um, not quite being truthful. So it is now. If I was still there, every one, every meeting I have, I would be like, "What if you just delete a bunch of data?" Yeah, that's that's a big difference than probably what the competition's doing, and I'm going to get a better seat at the table. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, third and final question that you need to ask yourself to determine if you got a good plan here is could you be investing your time better elsewhere? And that's a hard one, right? But you do have to take a step back after month X, day X, year X working on a deal that it's just not progressing. And we're going we're gonna to follow this up with three ways to break it loose or walk away from the deal, like questions you need to ask or things you need to do. But you really need to ask yourself, it, is it just time for me to cut bait here? And is my time better off getting a new email from a new customer or connecting via phone with a new prospect on a new project and investing my time there. It's at some point you only you can make that call, um, but you need to constantly be asking yourself that about your pipeline. The only way I could help the listeners understand what I'm thinking about as it relates to this point is if you had a deal that you were so excited about. You know, Brian was talking about 30% of my annual quota was being solved with this deal. Well, if that's if that's shrunk to half of what it was and then half of again what it was. Mm. And now you're down to, you've got this $75,000 deal that you've invested more than $75,000 worth of company resources to go get done. It might be really a time to just walk away. And you can explain that to your manager and your team, and they will be happy for you doing that and making that decision. But it's not always just about deal shrinkage, but I think that's the one that just resonates the most is Mm -hmm. I've seen so many deals go from multi-million dollar deals to six figures. You're like, what happened? Like, how did we get to this point? But you got all that time, right? Though back though, right? You just, it just showed back up on your calendar. Three years later. Yeah. Okay. So three ways to break it loose or walk away. First one, uh, seek to understand their business case. Um, again, keep this on a spectrum. If you're, if you're selling them, um, you know, something that's $50,000 or $5,000, there's probably not going to be much of a business case, maybe on the $50,000 side. If it's a million dollar project over X number of years, then of course there's going to be a business case, but you need to understand what is the business case for change. If it's just switching vendors, we have a lot of SHI and CDW listeners uh, on to the show. If it's, if the, if the business, if the decision is, look, you need to move all your business from vendor from, from reseller X to reseller Y, there's a business case being made. They may not have to pass that up three different levels, or they may have to pass that up six different levels. But understand what does that internal business case look like to them, and then how can you impact that? How can you be part of that? What kind of data points can you give? Can you invest to look at their deck and, and help them work through that deck if they're, if they're having to create something? But seek to understand their business case. If there is no business case, and this is a significant project, and they've not done a project like this before, walk away. You got to get out of this deal because it's not going to happen. Yeah. And you said it. I was going to say, look at their deck or ask them to get involved in that document. Just simply put, if they're not asking you to help contribute some of these mm-hmm. points, you're in a bad spot. You're in a really bad spot. Um, 
And we talked about this one a lot, but number two out of these three ways is to set a work back plan and agree to it. And then call a spade a spade when you start missing dates. It, it happens. This is much like the pathway to getting a deal signed and closed. You know, there is a million steps and I can challenge almost everybody and they'll, they'll miss a step in all these things in a work back plan. It's always a holiday or a, a spring breaks right around the corner now and we're not thinking about it and it's going to delay our deal a week and we're going to miss these dates. Have a work back plan. Know what those dates are. Hold them accountable. Use that to your advantage and, and make them be accountable for what they agreed to. Yeah, and one way to do that tactically, and this is the third point, is to set an immediate task for them, especially if you've done a lot of the legwork early in the process. And this scares a lot of salespeople that are early on. For veteran salespeople, it does not scare them at all. They this is a this is a trick that's been in their their bag for a long time. Give your prospect an immediate task, something to do. Maybe it's you know maybe it's review and sign your NDA. What whatever it is, pick a task. It can be a small task. Send me, hey, you know that that system diagram that we talked about in our last one on one. Can you send me a copy of that? We've got an NDA in place. Give them an immediate task as part of that workback plan. Um, because they may, you may send them a nice spreadsheet with all the next steps to get the deal done over the next six days or 60 days. But unless they're owning that, they may reply back and say, looks good, sounds interesting, ready to keep talking. They may give you all those kind of passive discussion points, but give them a task that's very quick on that, that plan. You'll find out how real it really is to them. I'm sure I've shared this in the past, but, but my go-to in this respect is uh, in a meeting, pre-deal even. Do you have an org chart? Yes, I have an org chart. Would you mind sharing that org chart with me? Not at all. Okay, great. That's the first task because all if they have an org chart, it's a PDF or an Excel document on their desktop. Easy, easy to right-click and share it with me. Um, if they won't do that and they agreed to do that, you're way behind in this account, I can assure you. Agreed. And Bob, let's talk about what does walking away mean and we'll kind of wrap it up here. I For me... That's not, I'm, I'm stopping communications forever. It just means that they're on a list for marketing. I'm, I'm no longer depending on this account. Bobby, how do you, what does walking away mean to you? Well, I think it's a whole nother episode, but I, I want to share the the breakup email. You know, there's there's got to be a point yes. where you do explain the situation and you break up. I think every deal is varying in size and, and it doesn't fit for everything. But it really, really works well to send an email and assume that they've decided to go a different route. Assume that the business case doesn't exist anymore. And just have, have a cordial conversation via email that you're going to move on to other things. If, by chance, I am wrong and you still want to interact, here are the things I need to keep investing from our side. And I've never had one of those emails that didn't get responded to quickly because they're professional and either they know they want to break up and it's their way of easily telling me, yeah, you're right. Sorry. It's not going to pan out. Or there is a roadblock on their side that they're either embarrassed about or upset about or didn't know about. And they want to let you know, yeah, we've hit a brick wall over here. Please don't give up on me. You're, you're still in the running. And that's a completely different way to reset the conversation. If, if I by chance didn't get that response, I'm, I'm going to still email them events. I'm still going to prospect them, but I'm going to put them way low in my quadrant of magic quadrant for customers that says, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them anymore for sure. And you're not going to allow it to wait your pipeline anymore either, right? 
No, I'm de- I'm going to end it. I mean, I yeah. This I was going to say this a while ago in one of your other points, but Brian, what if I only have three deals and all three <laughs> of them end up being dead plants? What when, am I going to do? What like as a manager, what I would what I would so prefer in a conversation is this deal sucks. I'm moving on. I'm short on pipeline. I'm going to fix it. Yeah, that's the conversation well, I want to have. I don't want to have the conversation of. Oh, they keep missing something. They keep oh, they keep missing this. But I, you know, when I get when I get this thing in, it's it's all good. It's just listen. Let's just move on. I know it. I know it's hard. I know it sucks. I know. I know it's so disappointing. I, I mean, I was only an AE four weeks ago. I know that. Um, but you got to be real with it. So as an as a manager, and, and we all know where you work. But if if you had a rep, they had three deals in the pipeline. They came to you and said, "Look, I'm going to level set." None of these are going to happen. I'm going to have to start over. Here's my strategy, my plan to get my funnel filled. You would be okay with that if they had a plan. 1,000%. One, yeah. So the, um, the the country manager uh, in in UK, her her advice to me, the last conversation we had as I was as I was walking out the door of UK Workday London was, um, Brian, it's okay to be short on your forecast. You have to have a plan, though. And what you, as a leader, what you have to successfully do is execute on that plan, but have a plan. That's what matters. Be real about your forecast and have a plan. And it is so true. We, I think the more honest we are about all of this stuff, it, the better. And I, I, I always do this and I don't, I don't know if it's good or it's bad. I think it's just the stage of parenting that I'm in. I've got a 14 year old son that thinks he knows everything. (laughs) You know, you, you can't at all identify with this. Can you? No, I don't. I doesn't relate at all. But man, if he if he failed a test, when he fails a test, let's say, he's a good student. So I shouldn't say it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often, that's for sure. But rather than this, oh, this happened, that happened, this happened. If he came in and said it sucks, I'm mad about it. It won't happen again. I mean, the conversation. You see, my study habits change. The, the conversation Anything. ends now. It's done. I believe you. You have a history. But if it's like, this sucks, I don't believe this person, it wasn't the right con. Like, okay, whenever you're done making excuses for it, let's let's move on. It's so funny you say that because I, I think within the last three school days, I've heard the study guide didn't have all the material on it or you name it. I've heard the excuse, but I, I've heard some really good ones recently and why why wasn't an A or B made? Um, yeah, let's don't be students uh, to our bosses. Have a plan. But I, I would. I would close out the deal. I would walk away. I would reset my forecast. I would reset my plan. And I I would make my boss very confident that I'm going to get it done. No question. I agree. You talked about the breakup email. That's a great email. You introduced me to that years ago. I still use it today. Let's do like a five or ten minute podcast and like an in-between episode on that uh, upcoming. For sure. I'll own that. Bobby, and one last thing before we wrap it up. So... We got to tell listeners if you, we've been talking about this for weeks now. If you've not already registered, you can make real money with Pigeon TV. That's P I J N dot TV. Subscribers to Pigeon TV are entered into weekly raffle, a weekly raffle for thousands of dollars in prize money. Bobby, why don't you tell everyone how it works? So, Pigeon TV delivers short video content on a weekly basis that explains the insight behind relevant emerging tech companies. We love what one-time guest and now two-time guest Phil Wilhelm and Pigeon TV are doing. They're making it better for tech sell show, show listeners today. Go to Pigeon TV, 
subscribe and enter TSS in the promo code field, and you will automatically be entered for double the number of entries in the month of February and March. They're giving away real cash. It's really great. I've been watching this week to week and seeing the thousands of dollars that are being given out to people that are watching the two-minute video. It takes, Bobby, what, 20 seconds to get registered for it? At most. At most, 20 seconds to go registered for it. It's a two-minute video released every week. It's really insightful. Some of these videos aren't even necessarily directly in the industry that you may be part of or like the like kind of sub-vertical that you're part of. But it's fascinating, the the new emerging tech that's out there. So Pigeon TV, it's the insight you need regarding emerging tech companies along with the prize money you deserve. Go subscribe today. Let's do it. Beautiful. Okay, with that, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, And remember, Average is the Enemy. If you've got any questions on this or feedback on this episode, let us know. Please drop into iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. It really helps us get exposure out to other technology sellers. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.